So we jump back and we see uh, the apostles appointing deacons, and then we see Stephen's confrontation uh, with the religious leadership in Israel. They stone him to death. Beginning of chapter 8 says uh, Saul was consenting to his death, and uh, those things were carried out. Uh, then we see Philip depart and go to Samaria. I made the explanation um, that that is, in fact, uh, the gospel going to the Gentiles. So that's that's unique. Okay, um, I, <clears throat> you guys know me. I have my pet peeves, and I try to stay on track. But uh, you know, rabbit trails ensue. Um, I just want to um, point out Les Feldick again and caution you against him. Okay, um, a lot of people follow Les online, and if you just tune into Les. Um, he's got tens of thousands of followers. Cool, fine, right? He's preaching the Bible. You might watch it and think, oh, no big deal. Les Feldick is way out there, okay? Um, he, he has gone as far as to say that we shouldn't even, uh, um, we shouldn't even learn or listen or read Jesus' uh, teachings because, uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, so we really only need to follow Paul's letters. And he, he, he builds a case, a false case, saying that Jesus only sent his apostles to the Jews and specifically said, do not go to the Gentiles. Well, that was when he sent the 72 out, right, to Israel. Jesus himself went to the Gentiles, okay, and went to the people of Samaria. He went outside the nation of Israel and preach the gospel, okay? So the, the concept is just, it's wrong. It's straight wrong. And, um, you know, you know, like I say, if you just tuned in online to one of his teachings and heard less, you may, well, I think I got a lot out of it. That was pretty good. And, and you probably did, and it probably was. The problem is that this man's warped sense of biblical teaching is really inaccurate. Okay, I mean... Would you take me serious if I said to you, you shouldn't listen to Jesus' teachings? Right? I mean, I'm all done listening to you if you're talking like that. You know what I'm saying? Clearly, we need to. So, um, you know, he's backpedaled and tried to re-explain himself. And, you know, what it comes down to is uh, less, like a lot of online teachers, is an island unto himself. Right? He doesn't have if, – if I'm preaching kooky stuff – um, you know, my pastor's going to land right on my chest with both boots, you know what I'm saying, and say, what, what is wrong? Why are you going this direction? I'm accountable to people for what I teach. Les doesn't have any hierarchy over him at all. Uh, so when he goes off the rails, nobody shows up saying, what he, or even sends him, well, he gets critics. But he doesn't, he doesn't have, more than anything, he doesn't have the submission to authority over him. So... Anyway, long rant about this deal. They they are going, Stephen immediately goes to Samaria and begins to preach the gospel. And there is a powerful move of the Lord as, as people are freed uh, from uh, demonic influences and uh, sinful habits and, you know, born again and uh, brought into the kingdom. And as 8 says, and there was great joy in that city. And you would think so. You know, the gospel has arrived and the work of the kingdom is being done in their midst. Uh, verse 9, 
But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. You, some of you know my particular um, fascination with sleight of hand, okay? And it's, it, it is, I'm not like, you know, seriously into this stuff. It's to show that it's lies, okay? The, the whole point is, you know, people get all fascinated with like Chris Angel or, you know, uh, David Blaine online or, you know, on, you know, just like there's something magical, mystical. And the weirder they look, the more they think that they've got supernatural powers. So, so therefore, they ascribe to them things that aren't there. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the tricks I already know that they do. Some of them are pretty um, uh, interesting and unique. The one I always like to point out, um, I have a couple that I bring with me and I do. Uh, we got a sorcerer here, right, in this passage who's fascinating people with magic. Um, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that uh, Chris Angel appears on television and the next day there's a seventh grader who's showing the world how to do the tricks he did last night right youtube's great uh for that but uh, he he you know, chris angel particularly he, he acts all spooky like he's demonic and you know he's got weird eyes and he you know, stares at the camera strange and everybody gets all freaked out by his behavior well he makes a card float that's one of his tricks right he has a card in his hand and he makes a card float. He holds his other hand and he gets all spooky. And the card floats up out of his hand and it twirls around, does all kinds of weird stuff. Well, the seventh grader the next morning is showing the whole world, right? He's got a button-up shirt on and he's got a piece of fishing line tied to one of the buttons on his shirt. And it just hangs down flat. And he's got a little piece of sticky tack uh, on it that is like gray translucent not like blue or green or yellow it's you can hardly make it out okay and he's got this card in his hand and so as he begins to talk to you he explains later this seventh grader he does it so smooth the first time you don't even see it he's he's talking to you about the card and he reaches over with his left hand and takes the fishing line with the sticky tack on the end and he presses the sticky tack on his thumb so he's even like trying to work at getting this little glue booger off his finger and he he finally got it attached to just his thumb okay and you don't see that and while he's talking to you he takes the card and places it in this hand and he presses so now he pulls this hand away presses the sticky tack onto the card now puts it back in this hand releasing it so now the fishing line with the sticky tack is attached to this card Right, and he gets all kind of weird, like a seventh grader might. And he then puts his hand here, and the card floats right up. Because what's going on is the fishing line is over his thumb, and it's attached to the card, right? And to make it even more spooky, like he spins it around, you think it's like he's blowing on the back of the card. He's just breathing, and the card spins in his hand, and ooh, aren't I special? And then he goes through the process of explaining to you. The whole world watches that while Chris Angel, with his millions of dollars of production team, makes him look supernatural. That's what this guy is doing. Okay, it's trickery. It doesn't have anything to do with real supernatural power, right? It's sleight of hand. Some people have caught on to it. That's why some of the community is super impressed. Others are not as impressed. Okay, because they've seen what's going on. So here uh, you have this certain man 
called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery. And there are two sorceries uh, in the scripture. One is the idea of magic like illusion. And the other one is the term pharmakia, which is where we get the word pharmaceutical and pharmacist from. And it's the idea of drunkenness or intoxication, spells and potions. Okay, so there is some pretty dark stuff that people did, uh, you know, and continue to do. And I'm not going to go into all of that. What I want to concentrate on is the one we're looking at, which is sleight of hand. Okay, it's illusion. He's tricking the people. Some of them are very elaborate. Right? <clears throat> I, I want to go this far so you understand. Uh, so David Copperfield, I say that name, and usually almost everybody's like, okay, now I know who you're talking about. Uh, David Copperfield does a magic trick, and he's done it uh, three times, which is really remarkable, on national television. And they, uh, in the industry, they refer to it as two degrees of separation. And how it works is um, you're looking at home at the television and the camera simply moves two degrees and the item you were looking at now disappears because well it's right there and the camera can't see it because it's pointed over there so david blaine starts out with an elephant right <clears throat> and he brings it on stage and he's got all these people in the audience what you don't know is everyone in the audience is a paid employee okay they all get a little check Right? And when the sign goes up, ooh, everybody goes, ooh. When the sign goes up, ah, everybody goes, ah. And, you know, when the sign goes up, applaud. They all clap. Okay? So curtain goes up, elephant's present. You're looking at the curtain. Nothing moves, right? They drop the curtain. It's not there. Well, because well, the camera went like this. The elephant's right there. Right? You just shift back. There's the elephant. Everyone in the audience is cooperating with the illusion. They're being paid to cooperate with the illusion. So they express their amazement. You're going, like, how did he do that? Right? It was pretty simple. Second one that he did was uh, 747. Right? Third one he did, Statue of Liberty. Oh, my goodness. What? It, it's so plain and simple. It's, it, you know, it's a simple, but millions of dollars involved. Okay, so now let's go another direction with, because we're still talking about this. And how this man has tricked people. Um, a half-hour program on primetime television, right? 8 to 8.30. Okay. Pepsi will pay $15 million for a single spot. They'll pay $3 million. That's about they'll pay $15 million to have their, their product in that thing like three times during it huge money involved. You want to go buy it? You want to do your puppet show, primetime, 8.30, $21 million to buy a half hour. If you're David Copperfield and you are capable of paying for $21 million of television, then $5 million of illusion is nothing, right? For, for you to go there and, and because Pepsi's going to pay and Burger King's going to pay, and everybody's going to pay you. You're going to make bank. You're going to pay off the $21 million, the $5 million for your set, the whole nine yards, and you're going to walk home with buckets full of money. It's all about money. It's all about illusion. There's no magic to this. It's just trick the viewer. That, that's the whole thing. When I say they're an employee, they're paying the audience $50 a piece, $25 a piece. 
So you got to see the show. You got to see how it was all put together. And you got a little check. You know, maybe it's more today, $75, $100. You go, it's exciting, you're part of the thing, and, uh, you know, you said all the things you were supposed to at the proper time, and you get your paycheck, okay? And uh, you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. You sign a non-disclosure agreement, you get your check, and, uh, you know, on goes the story. This man has deceived this community. He, he's a trickster. He, he's got a whole method for how he does the things that he does. Uh, and, and the more that people exclaim about how supernatural he is, the more he enjoys that, the more he promotes that idea, right? Just let him, you know, just let him say whatever they want to say. You know, he's in contact with aliens. That's how he got this. Great. What does he care, right? Just let the thing run amok. Uh, so here, he's tricked this whole community. They're thinking this way, at least to some degree. They thought he was someone great. Uh, I, I wish I had brought the illusion with me, but there's one that I do where I make a red handkerchief disappear and reappear at will. The man who first invented that trick was declared a god by the emperor that he served because he could create and destroy at will. It's literally just sleight of hand. It's just how quickly do you distract and move so that people don't notice what you're doing. Now, I've gotten good enough with it that you can stand right in front of me and look right at my hands as I do it in slow motion, and you're still not going to see. Still not going to see. I've driven teenagers crazy with this, who like to the point where they're like wanting to fight me because I can't, you know what I'm saying? They're like, calm down. It's amazing how emotionally invested people get with this. It's illusion in, in this whole process. So they thought he was some grand, someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the great power of God. Do you notice that's a capital G there? That's, that's some, I mean, that. imagine if that's on the back of your business card, right? No, I mean, literally, what if you're walking around with that on the back of your business? That's, that's like serious business if you're making that kind of claim or you're even allowing that kind of claim to be made about you, right? Right, exactly. Self-destruction is the process. So he's thought of this way. They heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. And that's the best way to do it. Because you just change your tricks and over time you can go back to the original tricks because there's a crowd that hasn't seen them after four, five, ten years. You know what I'm saying? So he's, he's kept them in this place for a long time. Um, David Blaine, uh, his tricks, most of them are very old. Um, that's one thing that I would accredit to him is he's a, a bit of a, a magic historian. He, he's gone back. through. His, his hands are so quick. It's insane how quick. He is, having studied a little bit. One of the things he does is he has a series of quarters, and he gets really old coins, and he has them cut by a jeweler, right, so that they look broken. The two pieces fit together perfectly, right? And um, so he does a thing where um, he, he has a piece of tape, and he holds two coins in his hand so that you're only seeing one at a time, which is tricky enough, and he bites the coin in half. So that's where the... The uh, 
jagged edge of the jeweler's work is done. And so he'll show you the other piece in his mouth, which is another piece that matches. It's not even the same piece. Same piece is on his hand. And then he'll spit that coin back and flip it up so that the, the, the two pieces come back together right in your vision. And then he'll hand you another coin. He's got the cut coin in his hand. All of that is happening so fast that you feel like you're watching one coin being bitten in half and then spit back together and then put in. Who would want to touch it after it was in his mouth? But anyway, <clears throat> trickery, right? And it was Houdini that first did that. He manually cut the coins himself. Blaine did research, found a lot of Houdini stuff that wasn't done anymore, and he's revived it. So it looks new, but it's really an ancient trick. You know, kept him at bay for a long time in these different things. So uh, he'd done this for a long time. When they, uh, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Magicians see other magicians' tricks much more easily because there's usually just a baseline series of things that you do you know palming and cupping and all the different things that you learn along the way so the magicians are looking for that stuff simon's watching philip and he's realizing oh this is no joke this guy is healing people this guy is restoring health you know health to people one of the things i commonly point out about the healings that the Lord did during his ministry, when it talks about the maimed that Jesus healed, and then it talks about Philip and the apostles healing the maimed, we're literally talking about people who lost limbs and appendages who had them restored. You know, when your uncle shows up and he lost his leg from the knee down years ago and Jesus Christ heals him and he walks away with both legs whole, you know that's not sleight of hand. Only the the creator is capable of such miracles. This is this isn't just a white sport jacket that you're you know swinging around in a circle knocking people down. You're doing real miracles, and this is what Simon is realizing about Philip: is this guy has the power of capital G God. He can almost see you know. Simon over here in the corner in embarrassment tearing up his you know his credentials when he sees the real power of God at work through Philip he was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come prayed for them that they might receive the holy spirit for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow, hey, this raises a lot of questions doctrinally. Okay, you know, you got certain branches of Christianity that want to say, um, you know, only the apostles were capable of imparting uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, Philip's capable of doing the miraculous work that the others are doing. Uh, so where does this begin and where does this end? Well, I, I think the summary of the thing is God does what he wants to, when he wants to, where he wants to, with who he wants to. 
Uh, you know, this whole idea of I've, I've got to figure this out and put God in my neat little box. What if God wants to do something completely outside the box? Well, I mean, what are you going to do at that point? Are you going to argue with whether somebody's been saved? You know, I, I, uh, I remember many years ago now, um, there's a young man. He ends up in a Matt Christian magazine because, uh, you know, mature Christians witnessed him leading some of his skateboard friends, acquaintances, to Christ. And he preached all day. And in the end, uh, he served them communion there at the skateboard park with Mountain Dew and Doritos. And there was a whole bunch of Christianity that was fit to be taught. I'm, you know, thousands of miles away reading the article applauding, like, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what I'm saying? It just... He was so sincere as a teen that he just wanted to bring people, but it wasn't grape juice. And how do we know if those Doritos were actually unleavened? You know, who cares? You know what I'm saying? The, the, you got young people ministering to young people and lives being surrendered to Christ. You know, I, I'm confident that the angels in heaven were celebrating. You know, it's it's an interesting thing the way that some people want to compartmentalize and in the end that's rooted in pride right because we do it this way which is the right way so if you want to be right then you want to come over here and congregate with us is is what that's all about so here we see this interesting occurrence where philip is there full display of the holy spirit's power at work in the community lives being surrendered people being healed demons being driven out and yet the believers aren't experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit until we see Peter and John arrive, who, when they'd come, as we read, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, for us yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Um you know, uh, then a whole bunch of people want to argue about what was the evidence. So when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered money. He offered them money. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, did they speak in tongues? That's the thing that always pops up. Probably. You know, that, that was probably the significant sign that showed them that these people were, in fact, baptized in the Holy Spirit. But... Again, we see numerous occasions in the scripture where people are baptized in the spirit, but don't speak in tongues. So the argument, you know, amongst believers starts to become like, you know, what is the sign? Well, look, here's what it comes down to. If you haven't been in this class, you know, enough times, it comes down to this. The two commandments that Jesus Christ gave us and what will happen in your life if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit unquestionably, without question, these things will happen. One, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You'll have an appetite for God's word. You'll have an appetite for fellowship. You'll have an appetite for worship, singing, and praying, and reading his word that you never had before, right? Uh, to what degree? I don't know. You know, it'll be more than what you had before. The Holy Spirit come upon you will cause you to fall in love with God. I can remember those you know, first transitionary days where people were trying to get me into the word and like it just, I was reading somebody else's mail. I had no idea what was going on. 
When I surrendered and began to read, filled with the Holy Spirit, wow, like this was my book. These are my letters. You know, and you sit down and intend to read one little section and you read the whole book that you're in. And and then that inspires, oh, I got to go read over there. And what did he mean when he was referencing this? And you, you know, hours have passed and you've read the word of God, you know, and you call up people that don't want to hear about it. And you're sharing with them and you're driving everybody crazy. You just, you love the Lord and you love your neighbors, your unsafe friends, your safe friends. You love your neighbors as yourself. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. These loves will be present. That's going to happen in your life. Are you going to speak in tongues? I don't know. You might, right? It's possible. I wouldn't even say probable. I would say possible, you know. Am I going to prophesy? Maybe, you know. That's actually pretty easy to do. There's a bunch of people that do it, and they're charlatans. They're fakes. They're not real at all, right? The two elements... Forgive me, class, that's heard this a million times. Of prophecy, forthtelling and foretelling, right? If you know the word of God and you speak it forth to the person in church with you, to your loved ones when you get home, to your friends, you're speaking forth on behalf of God. You're sharing the word with them. This essentially, what I'm doing right now, could be interpreted as prophecy. I'm reading and doing my best to explain the word of God. Secondly, forth, forthtelling and foretelling. Telling something before it happens, right? Having that insight and speaking on behalf about, and they, you've, you've maybe even done this. You know the word of God well enough <clears throat> that your well-meaning friend comes and says, hey, I got this crazy plan that I think I'm about to do. And you go, oh, man, I don't think that's right. Yeah, explain it to me. They'd lay the whole thing out, and then you're even more convinced. No, it's a bad idea. And you say, I think it's a bad idea because here's the word of God. And I think if you proceed forward in this situation, it's going to turn out badly for you. You're foretelling in a simple way what's going to transpire. This is not God's plan. And you're proceeding forward into something that's not his will. And it's only going to hurt. How do I know? I've done it, you know, a lot. Right? <laughs> you know, some of us are, have a master's degree and screw up. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's speaking, speaking forth on behalf of God and foretelling what is going to transpire. These are very simple things. Whenever somebody begins with thus saith the Lord, I, I duck. I'm, I'm pretty much concerned about whatever's going to follow. Because it's usually some cockamamie thing that they've invented in their own brain. Usually. Not always. That's pretty rare. How do we know we've been filled with the Holy Spirit? The love that comes. Are there going to be other gifts that follow? Almost assuredly, right? Something is going to develop from the long list of gifts that are in the scripture. I always like to point out <clears throat> the fact that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is helps. And it's just what it says, helping people, helping people do their chores, helping people with their family, helping people with just helping, helping at church. Why aren't people interested in that, right? The church is all fascinated with, I want the gift of the Holy Spirit so I can speak in tongues. Didn't, didn't want to help clean toilets, didn't want to help empty trash, didn't want to help, didn't want to help. But I wanted to be recognized as having a gift that's almost impossible to verify, right? 
We'll talk about that at another point. Concentrating on this, they've laid hands on them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. What was the evidence? We really don't know. To add into this is completely exaggeration. Uh, what we know is, for certain, love of God, love of neighbors. That's going to happen. Right? And maybe it was over time. Right? The guy who was a selfish drunkard who used to smack his wife and his kids around is completely brokenhearted and repentant and loving towards everyone in his life. And they go, that guy's filled with the Holy Spirit. There's been a dramatic change in his person. Why, why do we have to make it weird? Why do Christians have to? Anyway, I'm ranting now. So he offers money. Simon sees it and says, wow, this is great. Uh, you lay your hands on, people get the Holy Spirit. I'll pay some cash for that. If you're not aware of this, <clears throat> most illusionists pay other illusionists to purchase their tricks from them. Go online. You can purchase dozens of tricks. They range from simple $5 way up into $5,000, depending on are you making a living from this. This is what Simon's used to. Pay for the trick. Pay for the illusion. Pay you know this guy traveled great distances and learned these things and purchased these tricks from other people. Ab absolutely guaranteed. So here he pays, wants to pay money. <clears throat> and then uh, it says, say, saying, give me this power also that I, uh, that anyone on whom I may lay, I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, look, <clears throat> if I've paid money for it, and then I turn around and you want it for me. What am I going to do? I'm going to charge you. Right? So, so this is his old practice. This is how things go. And he's right in that slot. Peter said to him, your money perish with you. You got to understand how powerful a statement that is. Right? These people have been healing the sick and also taking care of those who are maimed and hauled and blind and demon possessed. And Peter just said, you're going to die. Right? The guy who wields supernatural power just told you, you're going to die. And your money's going to die with you. And that'll send the shock right through you. Your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Oh, hey, go the other direction with this. Right? The gospel has freely been given to us. Okay? And Paul does make the statement about ministers saying, and I'm paraphrasing the whole thing, um, we have provided you with eternal life through our ministry and preaching. You know, he, he basically says, is it a big thing if we ask help from you for, with worldly things? Is it, you know, is it a problem if we get paid? Is what he's saying. You were headed to hell and we rescued you from that. Is it a big deal? If, if we're asking you to help support us, is what he's saying. So money isn't the entirety of the issue, right? But when we turn around and we see people who are preaching the gospel to third world countries and we discover that their annual salary is $2.5 million, that's, that's peculiar. The gospel which you freely received. You're now ministering to impoverished portions of the world. And keep in mind, right, 
their ministry is sending them all over the world and paying for everything already. Right? They're, they're paying for their airfare, their lodging, their clothing, their meals, their medical, their dental. They've been taken care of completely. And they also get two and a half million dollars. And when Christianity Magazine interviews them, they hem and they haw and they squirm around and then they finally summarize by saying, I'm worth it. Wow. I don't know if we can fit your head through the door. You know what I'm saying? I just Your ego seems a little overinflated in that setting. So, you know, there are some interesting things within modern Christianity that you might want to pay attention to. Who these ministers are and what they're doing. It's troubling at times. So here, money-making scheme, your money perishes with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. <clears throat> we use the term often, righteousness, and righteousness, <clears throat> self-righteousness is always kind of disgusting, right? Arrogant self-righteousness, you know, the hypocritical, self-righteous, all of those things that we ascribed. Uh, righteousness, true righteousness, simply means that you are right with God and you are right with man. <clears throat> right? And you may be a bumbling sinner who daily lies on your face before God and says, forgive me for being the wretch that I am. And that makes you right with God. And you say to your neighbors, I apologize for my behavior. You know, not asking for an excuse. Don't let me punch you in the nose tomorrow also, you know, but I apologize for doing it today. When, when we are seeking to correct our relationship with man and with God continuously, right? Because in the end, it's God's grace that covers us. But righteousness, you're not, you're not right with God, is what he's saying. You just you're hanging around. You're going to church. That's some good stuff. We appreciate you. We appreciate your fascination with the work of the Lord. But you have got it messed up in your heart and mind what this is all about. And a lot of Christianity falls under that banner, right? Uh, how they're in association with, but then when they come under a little pressure, you actually see where that repent. Therefore, of your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you before we read that last. Um, uh, again, you're not right with God and you need to repent. We've talked about it a number of times recently. Uh, the metanoia, the, the, the changing of the mind starts with homilageo, which is the confession to say the same thing God says. Right, so if if you come into this and you're like, I'm fine, you know, you're Simon, you're trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and somebody confronts you and you act like I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with this. People do this all the time. You know, if if you have sin in your life and you are justifying it, then you aren't confessing. You're not saying the same thing God is. He's calling it sin. The one I always go to because I work in drug addiction and uh, help people find freedom from that is uh, the way that our culture, beginning with Bill Wilson, particularly AA, uh, labeled alcoholism as a disease and then drug addiction as a disease. Uh, that's a big money-making scheme is what that's all about. Always has been. 
Um, you don't believe me, you think it's just my particular bent on it, get the book 12 Steps to Destruction. Read that and understand how this all developed. Right? The man who taught Bill Wilson that uh, his alcoholism was a disease was stripped of his medical license just a few years later because he was a complete quack. He was teaching Bill, your alcoholism is an allergic reaction to alcohol. Don't know, I don't know how that works, but anyway, you know, I I hate to quote Axl Rose, but but um, he is the one that said I'm deathly allergic to alcohol. Every time I drink it, I break out in handcuffs. You know, so you know there there, there is that idea, right? <clears throat> that some people are always blame shifting within it. They're not saying the same thing God is. God says of alcoholism, you're incredibly selfish. You're destroying yourself and you're destroying everyone else that is around you. It is your choice that has produced alcoholism in your life. Okay? And there's a whole bunch of people in this room that used to be alcoholics. And I do mean used to be. Because Christ has freed us from that. We are no longer alcoholics or drug, addict, drug addicts. And I put myself in that category. Christ has delivered me from these things. I do not have a disease. I was daily making choices that destroyed my life and a lot of other people's lives. I was a walking hand grenade all the time, everywhere that I went. So, you know, agreeing with God and saying, you're right, my heart is messed up. That's confession, homilageo. Repentance is the changing of the mind, which causes a 180 degree change in the behavior. That's, that's literally, if we put that in the modern vernacular, repentance literally means U-turn. Go the opposite direction you were going, right? And I, I think for all of us that are actually repentant in this room, that's, that's the summary of all of us. No matter what degree we were doing, whatever sin we were engaged in. We finally agreed with God, said, that's right. I read it right there in your word. That's who I am. And now I repent and I turn around and I go the other direction. This is, this is biblical repentance. This is what we do. So here, you're not right with God. Uh, your thoughts you know, of your heart uh, might be forgiven. Verse 23, for I see that you are poisoned with bitterness and bound by iniquity. Interesting assessment. You know, I'd have to speculate on some of it. <clears throat> but, you know, really... Uh, Peter can see in these circumstances that uh, Simon is jealous of the people around him and trying to elevate himself above them. He's allowed himself to be called the great power of God. Okay, he, He's trying to exceed everyone in his environment. So the root of the thing, bitterness, bound in iniquity, sin, is, is where he's engaged in. It's always difficult when somebody suddenly develops spiritual x-ray vision and looks to the depths of your soul. That's always, that's difficult. It's difficult. Um, you know, I, I'm, there's a lot of people who claim that, you know, they're out there. I have, I have, a, you know, a ministry of discernment and they want to talk about what they, you know, discern. Um, most of the time people have tried to lay that trip on me. They've been a hundred percent dead wrong, you know, or maybe they were 99% dead wrong. You know, they saw one little thing and that led them to assume a mountain of other stuff. Just totally inaccurate. We want to be careful about acting that way 
with other people, and we definitely want to be careful about listening to anyone who behaves like that. Because especially within the faith, within Christianity, when they say that, okay, if they are wrong, I would strongly encourage you to tell them they are wrong right there on the spot. Don't, don't let that go any further. Why? Because essentially what they're saying is, thus saith the Lord. I've been given x-ray vision into your soul. Okay, I've shared with you before, uh, we had a woman come to this church years ago, and um, she came, I believe it was Resurrection Sunday, and there was a young woman in this church. Uh, how, some of you were here um, uh, during this. It was far back enough that all the seats were facing this way, Shannon, okay? And, and we had the stage area set up in front of those two doors. That's how far back it was. So we weren't even in the corner with Eric Mitchell. We were... Okay, so some of you guys are like, what is he talking about? So here, here that's how the, this room was set up. Okay. <clears throat> this woman was seated directly behind a young woman who was part of our church. That young woman had been dr so dramatically delivered from such a hedonistic lifestyle. It was, just, it was a beautiful thing. Fully repentant, completely changed, wants nothing to do with the world, only immersing herself in the Word of God. She's attending church here and in Bangor. Like every service she can, she's just growing like a weed, just doing wonderful, wonderful things, serving in the children's ministry, taking care of kids, you know, part of the Sunday school program. And uh, now this newcomer shows up, sits right behind her. And we do our typical thing. We do the music, and that ends. And we say, take a minute and greet one another before we get in the Word. And uh, this young woman turns around to the newcomer behind her and starts to shake her hand, introduce herself. They exchange names. And that group woman grips her hand and pulls her right into herself and says, I don't think you're going to like me being in this church because I have the gift of discernment and I can tell when people are going to fall back into their sin and into the world. Nice to meet you. That young woman sat in her seat just hanging on to her emotions through the rest of the service. She was just told by somebody, you're going to fall back into your sin and back into the world. She's scared to death. She finishes the service and she just, like a steel pole, just hangs on, comes into my office and just shatters what is going on, Will? This woman out there, you know, claiming to, you know, know my heart, tells me I'm going to fall back in the world. Does she know what she's talking about? And I just quickly said, she's absolutely wrong. I know you too well. I know what the Lord delivered you from. I know how you are completely ashamed of that. You don't want anything. To, I know you're not going back. And, and, and here's the thing. That was in like 2004. Okay. That young woman, married, children, still serving the Lord, right? Wonderfully strong relationship with Christ. Hasn't, hasn't even wavered, been, been tested like you cannot imagine and stood like a rock through the process, that young woman. The woman who claimed she knew what she was talking about makes presentations like that two or three times over the next week's to different people about how she's something special. 
And she finally calls me up, and maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but she says she needs to talk to me. And she comes here, and she tells me the Lord gave her a vision, and that, you know, and I'm, I mean, she says that, and I, like, roll my eyes without, you know, without rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, vision, sure. <clears throat> and, and I believe in visions, and I've experienced people having them, but it's just, she's making this claim, and I think she's a total quack, right? So, <clears throat> She goes through this whole explanation telling me God's given her a vision. She and her whole family are leaving the state of Maine, and they're going to go to New Mexico where Skip Heitzig is uh, the, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, and they're going to become a massive part. She, her words, I'm going to become a massive part of that ministry. And, and she goes on and on about the whole thing, and the whole time I'm thinking, this lady is really crazy. She's like, she's a lunatic. And we go through the whole thing, and she finishes and says, so what do you think? Have I heard from the Lord, or am I crazy? Her words. <clears throat> and without any hesitation, I said, you're crazy. Imagine how that bonded us together. All right. And she's offended and says, well, what do you mean? How do you say that? And I said, it's really simple. You put very significant markers inside the supposed vision that you've had, one of which is you said within a year you're going to be in New Mexico and you're going to be a very vital part of Skip Heitzig's ministry. So it's, it's plain. If you're not there in a year, I'm right. If you're there in a year, if you're even there in a year, then we'll have to reconsider at that point. But if you're not there in a year, you're off your, lo your rocker. That's how bad it is. They still live in the area, so, you know. <clears throat> Nothing's changed. You know, not, it, it was so plain. It was so simple. It, people make great claims about how they can see things. You know, Peter here, filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizes what's going on. If somebody punches a hole in your heart and nails you, submit to it. You know, if they say, hey, I see what's going on with you and I need to say this to you and it's 100 percent accurate, just swallow hard and own it. Right. I've had prophets do that to me. You say prophets. Wow. Yeah, I know one in particular. Her name's Laura Cass. I've been married to her for 34 years. You know, I'll never forget one night where she just stops mid argument and just holds her hand up. Not in my face. Just holds her hand up like. Stop. <laughs> I finally put all the brakes on. And she said, the Holy Spirit just revealed to me that you're the same man you are right now. You're the same man right now that you were when I met you. Uh, the total heathen, pervert, drug dealing criminal? What are you talking about? Problem was I was. I was a total hypocrite. And my, my, my dear wife just said, hey, stop. The Holy Spirit has said something to me. And I have to say it to you. I, I literally hung my head and walked out of the room and spent five, ten minutes with God as a young Christian going, you know, I hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in my mind and in my heart saying, what are you going to do now? <laughs> you just got completely busted. Are you, are you going to literally go back in there and lie to the Holy Spirit that just spoke through your wife? Are you that stupid? Or are you going to repent? Are you going to confess 
right now and repent. And I confessed. And I'm talking full way. I called my pastor up. Confessed to him. Turned my life around right there on the moment. Couldn't go any further. Young Christian, backslidden, acting like I got my act together. And she says, mm, not so much. You know, If somebody nails you, you know, if they do it in love, own it. Peter, Peter's actually very gracious here. He's trying to rescue this man from the sin that's going to destroy him. He's trying to help him out of his problem. It's really a very interesting. You're poisoned by bitterness, bound by iniquity. When Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. That's confession. That's repentance right there, where a man would just surrender himself to the circumstance and the godly leadership that the Lord has put in his life. Listen, one of the things that I have noticed about people that have this kind of discernment is they're incredibly gracious, right? Love, right? God is love. Love in the life of a person who actually, you know, they don't walk around with X-ray vision, but periodically the Lord will show them what they need to see. The person who actually has this gift is very compassionate. And they very often want to keep it a secret. The person who wants to blab it from the rooftop, well, they're just a gossip. That's what they are. The child of God wants to heal, wants to restore. I had the unfortunate experience as a young Christian um, right after that thing happened with my wife where uh, a person in leadership who was very influential in my life uh, stumbled in sin in a, in a fairly minor way. And one of the men in ministry with them who was incredibly immature literally went through the whole church and told everybody. That didn't split that church. It splintered it, shattered. People went every direction. And in the end, it was a fairly minor stumble that, that could have been easily healed and repaired. People are more scarred today from the splintering of that fellowship than they were from the sin that took place that could have been healed. There's lots of different influences in the church. I like the example of Peter here as he's essentially insisting Simon repent in this moment. So verse 25, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So a few things. We hear about Simon's failure. We hear about Simon's confrontation and repentance and boom, that's over. We don't have some big, long, drawn-out deal. It's just done. That's gracious. Uh, there's possibly some more things that happen later in the book of Acts, and we'll examine them uh, if we get there. But here in the moment, repentance, forgiveness, graciousness, move on. And then the preaching continues. The ministry just picks up and continues on. And many locations within Samaria. A lot of people try to assign Samaria, again, as somehow Jewish, and I've given us the breakdown on that. The, this is not there's there is Jewish heritage in the Samaritans, but it's a completely corrupted thing. This this is Gentile bloodline that's being brought into the kingdom. There's a really beautiful thing, very very gracious thing. In verse 26, 
Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert in this region. So um, I've got uh, current things that are going on in my life where God has said, Get up, go, move, and minister. You know, so we're in the process of following that. But I've had many examples over the years, and one uh, was very young in the Lord. Uh, I was going over to Job Corps in Bangor um, uh, once a week, and I would lead a Bible study with a group of the students uh, that were there, 91, 92. And um, I would meet my friend Mike, and uh, there were others that would come, and uh, I went there on this particular night. And uh, everybody was off doing other things, and nobody wanted to come to Bible study. And so Mike got, and I got in the Word for a little while, and both of us sort of bored. And now I know prompted by the Holy Spirit, said, hey, let's go downtown in Bangor and just do street ministry. We'll just – and we'd done this many times before. So we jump in the car, and we drive downtown, and we didn't calculate well at all because we parked downtown, and the streets are pretty barren. And as we get out of the car, it's quite cold. In the fall. And then we realize, oh, like probably nobody's going to be just hanging out anywhere. It's cold. But, you know, we've committed this much. Let's go. So we walk. And if you can believe it, uh, we played a lot of hacky sack. So we would start that way, you know, get into conversations with the kids hanging downtown. And um, we walk up Central Street and take a right on Exchange Street. And by now we're frozen. Right, the wind, the cold, fall air, a little damp. Uh, we nobody's on the streets, and we're just like, forget this. This was just us being silly. So we turn around and we head straight back, 180 degrees. We repent and we go the opposite direction. We're headed back to the car, and uh, we're on Exchange Street. And there's a group of four guys straight ahead of us coming sh- straight at us, and they turn onto Central Street at the same time we do. So we're now one group on one side, Mike and I on the other side, and I can hear them. Very loudly, one of them is saying, yeah, so anyway, my mother's telling me about this crazy, my grandmother's telling me about this crazy thing, and and, uh, it's the end of the world, and there are these angels with trumpets, and, you know, there's like, you know, bowls of wrath being poured out on the earth, and, you know, he's going on and on, and I look at Mike, and we're like, whoa, there's our audience. So we cross the street and intersect with them, and I just, as I step up off the tar onto the curb, I just say, hey, do you guys know what you're talking about? The subject and uh, the one who's been real boisterous, they're all kind of startled. He says, no, it's something my grandmother, I think it has to do with the Bible. I said, you're, you're actually talking about the book of Revelation. Uh, really, uh, what's that all about? So uh, if you're familiar with Bangor, uh, it was long enough ago that the bagel shop was still down on the corner downtown. So we ventured that far as a group. So now there are six of us standing in front of that. And Mike and I have our Bibles open and we're sharing the book of Revelation, and the gospel with this group of four, okay? And I don't remember all their scenarios. Uh, I've got it written down in a journal. One of them was from the church of Wicca, so self-proclaimed witch. And one of them is his disciple, whom he's training to be part of Wicca. One of them's high on acid, literally tells me that at the the moment. You know, they're all stoners. So, you know, I blew his mind as we read the book of Revelation. So uh, as we're talking about this thing, the cops, we spend hours, like four and a half hours on that corner. And um, I ended up praying with two of them for salvation before it was done. 
Philip directed to where he was supposed to go. Sometimes, you know, the Lord will show you if he's actually directed you there or if you're just being really hopeful and imaginative because the circumstances will unfold. Okay, uh, You want to be careful about convincing yourself that it's something when it's nothing, right? But when it's something, right, fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, led to go to this place, this can happen in our lives. So he's directed to go down uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and had had come to Jerusalem, the Ethiopian uh, eunuch had, to uh, uh, to worship. So he's a convert to Judaism, and he worships the Lord, and he's there. Uh, and, uh, and now this intersection has occurred. Just a little sideline note. Um, there is uh, some evidence that the Ark of the Covenant may actually be in Ethiopia in the care of the Christian church that emerged from this occasion. No way to verify that. Okay, um, Certain people of authority in Jerusalem have asked the people who claim this um, questions about the Ark. And uh, one of the things that was very convincing is that the lid is solid gold. But the rest of the ark is wood, and there is very little gold leafing left on the ark, which is how the ark was built. It was wood overlaid with gold except for the lid. Okay, so um, there are some connections. There are some other rumors of how the ark was uh, uh, ferried away from uh, Jerusalem when Rome attacked and besieged it, um, and there is even some evidence uh, in documents about how it was taken uh, to Ethiopia and kept amongst the Christians. So uh, Christian community emerges out of this occasion right here, and we know this with an accuracy and a certainty, that the Christian community in Ethiopia is a direct result of this encounter. That That is a verified fact. So uh, meet this man. Uh, he's a eunuch. Um, just to be sensitive to the situation, that isn't to say that there was necessarily a surgical process involved, right? Uh, some some people that chose to be eunuchs did that just simply with emotional commitment. It, it, it was a very highly paid and revered position and job for uh, people in governmental positions. Um, and so sometimes people uh, just chose uh, to not have a spouse or a life uh, blatantly that was sexual. They just didn't have that as part of their lives. So uh, this man, he's a eunuch under Candace. Uh, we see other uh, references to Candace's uh, interest in Christianity. Um, so Egyptian documents, Ethiopian documents that indicate uh, she, she herself, and it may have come from this influence that this eunuch was so powerful in her um, uh, uh, sphere that uh, he had shared the faith with her. But uh, the elements are there. So um, uh, the coming to Jerusalem in worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake 
the chariot. Um, I, uh, I've talked to many people, and I've had the experience myself where I was convinced the Lord was speaking to me, and turns out he wasn't. You know, just like, go, do this thing. No, it's not. It's just too much caffeine or who knows what. You know what I'm saying? Um, when it's the Lord, that's always a very powerful thing. And those usually spring upon us. There's, there's usually very little, like, precursory work. Just the moment sort of explodes with Jesus. So here Philip goes. Uh, we recognize that he's reading from Isaiah. Spirit said to Philip, go near over to the chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So he understood um, you know, he was speaking in, in Hebrew and said, or maybe even Greek, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. How can I unless someone guides me? I'm going to give you a couple uh, short supportive passages to hang on to. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Okay, um, <clears throat> you don't get to say, I just read this prophecy and I know that it means something different than all the scholars who have come before me. <laughs> you don't get to do that. You, you are not so close with God. And I, and I just want to drill that point home. You are not so close with God that you can step forward and say, I know something about the Bible no one else has known. Okay. You may step forward and you may recognize something that has previously been unknown, but those who have the Holy Spirit and study the Scripture will recognize the same thing. Right? Those that have recognized things no one else has seen in the Scripture that were wrong, you know some of their names. Right? James Jones. Right? David Koresh, whose birth name was Vernon Howell. Right, changed his name to David Koresh. Uh, cult leaders. Uh, the body of Christ is supposed to interpret collectively the word of God. Uh, Paul tells us specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that when someone is given a prophecy, they're allowed to share it with the church, but the other prophets that are present will judge whether what they say is true or not. And if they are found to be inaccurate, that prophet who was inaccurate is to keep his mouth shut. And it doesn't mean in that occasion. It means from now on. You've proven, if nothing else, your interpretation of prophecy is unpredictable. Right? Maybe you were accurate last week. Now you're inaccurate this week. So we can't trust what comes out of your mouth. Needs to be 100% consistent. That's what we need to experience. So that's the first one. The second one is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The eunuch says, I don't know what this is. I need to be taught. Guess what? All of us need to be taught. That arrogance that says, nope, nope, I'll figure it out leads to bad things. We all need instruction. Yeah. Listening to Chuck Smith for years, he's teaching the parables. I'm listening to the recordings. He's in his 40s, 50s, 60s, and later. 
He always pointed out that when he went through seminary, his professors told him, do not teach the parables until you're at least 30 years old and you've been in the ministry for 10 years. And he brushed that off and he taught him anyway. And when he got older and he understood the Lord and what he was teaching more, he realized they were right. So I brushed that off and I taught him. And when I was older and had been taught for much longer, I looked back at my recordings and destroyed them. That's what I did with my teachings on the parables. There are things in the scripture that are very, very weighty. And if we interpret them from our internal self, then all we're really doing is confessing to the world our flaws. <laughs> is that what the scripture actually wanted to say or just what the scripture had said to me? Okay, so consider, I'm not telling you to shy away from the parables or shy away from the scripture. I'm just saying that a lot of times uh, people teach and it really does come from the flesh and it really does come from arrogance. Right? This man shows here a humility that says, teach me. Some, someone that's more mature in the word needs to teach someone who's less mature. Show me. Uh, you know, uh, teach me the things that I need to know. So the place in the scripture, which he read, was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 and 8. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? So he's got enough of the Holy Spirit to say there's a needed insight here. I can't tell if the prophet is speaking of himself or he's predictive of someone else. That's maturity. That's the Holy Spirit to say this is deeper than me. I need someone to help me understand this. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, he came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now listen. <clears throat> if you've gone from Isaiah 53 through the prophets, to John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the need for baptism, you've covered some ground, man. Right? Uh, Philip is demonstrating to us that he has an intense knowledge of the Scripture. Uh, you know, we see that in all of these men. Very, very schooled. We're often told, oh, Peter, fisherman. Yeah, but then Peter opens his mouth and in one chapter quotes the Old Testament 20 times schooled be it by the holy spirit or from experience he understands what what hinders me from being baptized um i hope none of you are hindered from being baptized you know we could baptize you before you leave here tonight if you so wish you know i've got one right now who is in the process of reading romans 6 
and before Sunday morning next, we may be doing a baptism out in the courtyard. So that was first courtyard baptism. So that, that'll be interesting. We'll have to do it together because I can't use this arm. So bring a, bring a shirt. <clears throat> yeah. Or we'll just drown him, whatever. <clears throat> Send you straight to Jesus. So what hinders me from being baptized? There shouldn't be anything that hinders you from being baptized. Nothing. Right? You know, do, do I, are you saying I have to be baptized in order to be saved? No. Yes. No. no. Yes. I don't, you know, are you a Christian? Yes. Have you ever been baptized? You say no. I say why? Are you, I'll be blind. Are you better than Jesus? Because Jesus got baptized. Right? He demonstrated for us the things we need to do. Baptism is necessary. Right? If you finished praying the prayer of salvation, said amen, got killed, and went straight to heaven, well, then there's your excuse. You know, we'll give that person a pass, right? Thief at the cross. Confesses Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Jesus says, I tell you that today you'll be with me in paradise. Didn't get baptized. But if you've got the opportunity, why wouldn't you? Why, why would you withhold? If you're going to literally stand in front of me, and some have, argue that they don't have to be, then I argue the point of, wait a minute, are you saved? Why, why are you resistant to this concept? The, the illustration is, I have died to my sin and my old way of living, and I'm being laid down in this water grave to be resurrected to a newness of life with Jesus Christ. Read Romans 6. It should be done. I like the fact that this Ethiopian is like, hey, let's follow in obedience right here, right now. Well, what hinders me? I find that what hinders people from doing it is pride and sinfulness and the flesh. That's what I find. Maybe there's somebody that's not what's going on, but I think so. So we'll get a little further. Uh, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's the confession right there. Nothing more is needed. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. You might want to underline the word caught right there, because it is the word harpazo, which is where we get the word raptus, which becomes the English word rapture. Rapture is contained in the scripture, and it is an undeniable doctrine of Christianity. So he was caught away, caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and they went on his way <clears throat> rejoicing. That would be a dramatic conversion. And you would certainly arrive back in your hometown in Ethiopia, and you would be blabbing the gospel to everyone that you could. And to this day, as I said, there is a gospel community there. <clears throat> I want to touch uh, on this just for a moment. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, and I will drill on the point of the word ignorant because the root word is ignore. You know a thing and you're ignoring it. Don't do that. Ignorance, right, of the rapture is what we're talking about. Don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those 
who have fallen asleep literally died in the Lord as Christians, saved, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep with Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, having passed away as it is. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that word again, harpazo, snatched up, snatched away with violent force. Suddenly is what that word means. Uh, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. Jesus doesn't come to the earth. That's the second coming later. This is the rapture where he comes to the clouds and we're caught up into the clouds. So together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And here's what I like about this whole thing. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. It's a blessing. The Lord is coming back for his church and everything he talks about, about what's going to be transpiring right around the time is happening right now. More than ever before. You say, oh, they've been saying that forever. Oh, now you sound like the mockers that Peter said would be around when the rapture happened. So what the world mocks this concept? That's a greater confirmation of the fact that we're that much closer, right? You want to argue when the rapture is going to happen? Fine, we can have long discussions about how you're wrong. But the issue is in this, right? The rapture is biblical. Anyone that says, I don't believe in the rapture, then you don't believe basic Christian doctrine. You're rejecting a great deal of the scripture if you say that. Okay? The early church leaders said that if there arose a teacher who did not confirm the eminent, immediate return of Jesus Christ, they were a heretic and they should be put out of the church. They put that in writing. So this whole thing that's emerging now, people saying, oh, well, that's a relatively new teaching within Christianity. No, it's not. You know, Tommy Ice, look that name up online. Sounds kind of immature. He's an elder man, and what he teaches about the historicity of the rapture in the church, in the Bible, will blow your mind. And I'm talking documentation from the scripture and from the earliest teachings of the church. So <clears throat> this whole idea of having been uh, raptured, uh, uh, Philip is raptured. I just want to touch verse 40. Philip was found. Uh, so this is azotas is the word. And where he was found passing through, he preached to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And lastly, uh, we won't go into nine, uh, but just supportive context. Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse eight. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven disciples that had been set up and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So he's carrying on the faith within his own household, right? The kids haven't come off the rails and, you know, I was, I was about to say going to the raves. I'm dating. Like, I don't even know what the kids do today, but 
you know, the idea of he's he's raising his children in the fear of the Lord. This this man's integrity is well intact in all that he's doing. So, again, you know, we look at the apostles and then see them set up deacons, and we're left thinking sometimes, oh, they're somewhat inferior. You know, you got apostles, you know, apostles, you know, and you know the B deacons, you know, they're they're somehow lesser. Look at what we just read about Stephen and now Philip, powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit and powerfully expanding the kingdom in numbers and in strength. We're seeing them work for the Lord. So um, we will not pick up at nine next week. So prophecy update next week. How about that? We'll look at the things that are going on and we'll see just how close we are to Jesus' return. If we even make it back inside this room which would be fine with me, you know. My uh, Three most stressful things you can ever endure in life. So death, number one, divorce. Many, sometimes people can attest to that. Moving. Yeah. Literally, those are, those are the things. And, the, and here's the, the other aspect of it. If you move out of state, it actually elevates the level. So here we come, Kentucky. So we're just... Getting ready, to, getting ready to follow what the Lord is calling us to do. So appreciate your prayers. Well, until we're together again, why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for your grace, for your love. We ask that you would fill us afresh this evening with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would minister to one another. We long to see your kingdom being built, you know, by us, through us, in us. Lord, use us. Help us to submit to you. Accomplish what you want to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.